So grab your Bible, open to Genesis 13. Uh, The reason we know that is because Genesis chapter 12, we finish with Abram having committed like horrible moral failure. Not only has he lied to Pharaoh, he's lied to Pharaoh about the fact that he was married. He called his wife his sister and he gave his sister, no, his wife to another man. You imagine that, ladies. He said, if we don't do this, I might die. So I'd like to live regardless of the fact that it's going to cost you being given to another man. That's what Abram does. And he thinks it's working. He's getting rich off of it. And then Pharaoh, the man whom Abram gave his wife to, discovers she's not your sister, she's your wife. And an un, watch this, an ungodly man, Pharaoh says to a godly man, Abram, why'd you do this to me? Sometimes that's what a watching world says to church people. What are you doing? Why would you do that? And he gives Abram his wife back and says, you need to get out of my country. And he literally has him escorted out of Egypt. So here's the question. Does everybody need forgiveness? Yeah. Does everybody need it regularly? Even friend of God? Yeah. So where, where do you go when you, because we need it right where do you go when we need forgiveness? Genesis 13, look at verse three. Look at where Abram goes. He went on his journeys from the Negev, that's halfway from Egypt up back to the promised land, and he's headed back as far as Bethel to the place where his tent Watch, had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. So Abram, in, with this moral failure looming over his life, where does he go? He goes back between Bethel and Ai. But watch, here's why. To the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Don't miss that. With moral failure... He returns, where? To where he had last called upon the name of the Lord. It's a good good model for you and I. Not, watch, not that we have to return to a place because we never found forgiveness and friendship with God first in a particular place. We found friendship with God through a a person, through faith in Jesus. And so what Abram demonstrates for us is in the light of our failures, whatever they are, we need to, as friends of God, regularly return to the person. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's not limited to a place. Imagine if every time you failed, watch this, and this isn't that far stretched. Imagine every time you failed, you felt like you had to come back into this room 
to get right back, to get back right with God. No, sorry. You have to come back to a person, not a place. Well, why is it a person, not a place? Because the presence of God, the grace of God is not constrained to a, to a place. It's not to a room. It's to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the beauty of that is you don't have to go, man, it's Monday and I've made a wreck and jeez, what do I deal to next Sunday? Or come knock on the door and say, hey, can you let me in so I can come up front and, and talk to God? What, what do you do? Wherever you are. Do you do this? Wherever you are. The moment you recognize I've wrecked, whether in small way or big way, wherever you are, you come back to a person. And listen, are you watching? This is not the exception. It's the rule. See, if you've got to a place where you're coming back to Jesus, forgiveness is the exception instead of the rule. It's not because you have become so godly. It's because you have become so casual and comfortable with your sin. The, the more aware I am of how ungodly I am, the more regularly, actually, I will be returning to the person of Jesus. But for some, here's the deal. We don't know how long Abram was in Egypt. And sometimes we stay in our sin way longer than we should. So all this this morning, right now, up to this point, is an invitation to you. Watching in here, north, it's an invitation. Do you need to return? You may feel like, well, that's why I'm here. No, it's not to a place. Because you can come back to church and not get back right with God. Because it's not about the room. That's been the beauty of, even though we can't meet, our relationship with God wouldn't shut down in any way. Because he's not in a place. He's in a person. So, do you need to return to him? Probably most of us do in, in some way. What do you say when you come back? Well, he cried out to the Lord. Hebrews gives us the picture. What do we say? We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. This is the person, Jesus. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you hearing me? When you recognize your sin, when you recognize your moral failure, when you recognize you have come short of the glory of God in your selfishness, in your language, in your thoughts, in your actions, in your relationships, in that moment, you don't wait to go back to a place, you come back to a person. And what do you say? I need mercy and grace. I need forgiveness. And you, Jesus, were tempted and didn't sin. You can grant it 
to me. You cry out to him in repentance. I've changed my mind about my sin. I've changed my mind about my, what I've done. It is not right. It is against you. And I put words to it. I confess it. See, do you ever think, oh man, I need to confess? That is not confession. Oh, I need to confess. I need to go back to God. That's not repentance confession. That's the beginning. But repentance has words to it. Give you an example. David, when he had moral failure, he said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. You understand, folks? You ever felt that? I have. That sense of, God, I know there's brokenness between us. I literally feel it. But listen, you watch. Feeling it is not confession and repentance. That feeling it, that sense of brokenness, that sense of distance, it's there to do what? To prompt you to repent and confess. To name what you've done is against the Lord and to bring it to him. For David to cry out, I acknowledge my sin to you. See, it's not just enough to go, I know it, but to acknowledge it to him. This is my invitation for you this morning. To recognize if there's a need to return, to acknowledge your sin. And my iniquity, I did not hide. It's not like, When we confess, the Lord goes, oh, wow, thanks for bringing that out. I had no idea. He knows, he sees. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for Abram to go, I was an idiot, God. He's waiting for you to go, I was a fool to think that I would go my own way and somehow it would work out. But my my body and my bones are screaming out to me. This is the gift of God. That sense of discontent and that sense of brokenness and loss, that's a gift of God that is crying out to you. Don't keep hiding what he sees. Acknowledge it. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And would you say this with me? And you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's the beauty of the invitation. If you will admit, if you will confess, if you'll bring out what he already sees, but you will return to the person of Jesus regularly, he doesn't go, well, this is three times this week, enough already. He is going, I will forgive you. And sometimes... Sometimes we think these moments of confession have to be like these major moments. Yeah, I remember like six months ago, I confessed to the Lord. What? What? Six months ago? You've been gone a long time. So the invitation this morning is to confess. Like for you, like right now. To the Lord.
It might sound something like this. David said, sorry, first, therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. I used to think, that's so weird. What do you mean? Why would godly people need to pray? Why? Because everybody needs forgiveness regularly. Be gracious to me, O oh God. This is what I want to invite you. We're going to take a moment and, and pause in this passage. We're going to remember how God has been gracious to us in Jesus. In those quiet moments, here's what I'm going to invite you to declare. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Would you bow? And I don't know what the Lord is bringing to your mind. But take the moment to return right now to the person of Jesus. If you're there in your living room, don't let everything else going on around you. Don't be multitasking right now. This is the moment. The Lord has put you here in this moment. He is crying out to you. Return to me. Confess your sin. Acknowledge it. Ask for mercy. Ask for grace.
How blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. And that forgiveness is not because God looks the other way, it's because he looked upon his son to be the substitute for us. And so uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I just want to acknowledge this, this is honestly a little weird. Um, because there's nothing, this is supposed to be sterile, but there's nothing sterile about the cross. You understand? A lot of blood, a lot of mess really there. And so uh, don't make what Christ has done for you sterile. There's two layers to this little thing you got. There's a top layer that you peel off and it'll expose a little wafer. So if you want to mess with that, you can. This, this little wafer is intended to remind us of a real body, a real person. Jesus, the Son of God. And if you might imagine, again, this is just too sterile, but if you might imagine a broken, a pierced, a bleeding, torn body, this is to remind us that he was broken so that we who were broken might be made one. That he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so with a visual reminder, the gratitude of a person who needs forgiveness regularly, let's take in thankfulness to the Lord. If you appeal the next seal off you have in here juice that's intended to remind us of the blood of Christ again that feels a little gross to think about that as the blood of Christ but the reality the scripture declares is this apart from the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin life had to be given for sin to be paid And I just want to acknowledge that, that sometimes in the church, we're inclined to either act like we have it all together and, and we never cry out we need forgiveness, or we go, oh, I'm just human, and we just live in our sin. And so let's not live in our sin, and let's not act like we're better than we are. Let's remember we need forgiveness regularly. And that comes through a person named Jesus. This, taking this, doesn't save us. It doesn't forgive us. It reminds us of the person who says to you, I'll forgive you. Come to me in remembrance of him. Let's declare together again what grace what mercy
Father, thank you for that blessing of forgiveness, of mercy and grace to help in time of need. Thanks for the invitation to pause together this morning to return to your son, the Lord Jesus, our savior, our forgiver, our leader. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your obedience, even to the point of death, so that we might live. And live, not as old people, but as ones made new in you, to reflect your glory. That our failures that are real would not be the only reality, that we might walk in newness of life. Would you teach us, even this morning from the scriptures, that we might be demonstrations of your great grace and mercy and demonstrations of your righteousness lived out in human flesh. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To join with me now in going back to the text. But let me just say one more time again. Don't let what we just did be the exception. Let it be the rule. Humble yourself regularly before the Lord. And admit your sin. He is gracious. So we left Abraham where? Back at the altar where he cried out to the name of the Lord again. And there with relationship restored, he has an opportunity now to actually live out the righteousness in a very real way. Pick up the account, Genesis 13, verse five. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Now if you're unfamiliar, Lot is actually Abram's nephew. And you may wonder, if you were with us the last few weeks, why in the world Lot is with Abram? Because actually in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God had said, Abram, leave this place and your family. So why did he bring Lot with him? Well, my best understanding is this, because Lot's dad had died. That's what we learned at the end of Genesis chapter 11. And so it would seem as the brother that Abram has taken Lot to be like his son. Not his son, but like his son. Abram's father, if you lay out the years, would have been fairly old, closer to death at this point. And so Lot goes with Abram. Lot was with him. Each step of the way, he was with him in Egypt. He saw the moral failure. He got rich with Abram in Egypt, and now he's back. And it tells us this, that Lot with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Here's the conflict. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's, of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And now this, this is not a throwaway statement. This is important. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So you get, you get the picture here? Two rich guys, not enough property to support it. 
and there is the Canaanite, the Perizzite, in the land. Now watch, here's the key. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. If to the right, then I'll go to the left. There were three key words here that Abram brings to the table to help resolve this conflict. Did you catch what they were? We are brothers. In other words, what? I expect that... Coming into this land, it's not unoccupied. There are Canaanites here, there's parasites, there's other folks here. I would expect we'd have strife with them. But between you and I, no, we are brothers. And brothers shouldn't have strife. Now, that's what's kind of funny. First of all, are they brothers? No, that's a loose English translation that would really be better understood as we are family. We're not brothers. We're not equal in that sense. We are uncle and nephew, but we're family. And family shouldn't fight like strangers. Now just pause and think about that. Is family often known as the peaceful place in our culture? Isn't that a little weird? The very thing that Abram brings to the table, hey, we're family. When you talk about getting together with folks, some of you are thinking July 4th, you're going, I don't want to go home because I don't want to be around family because that's like horrible. I didn't get to pick them. I'd like to hang out with friends that I pick. The shame here is this. The, the unit that God created to be a demonstration of peace and righteousness has become actually a place where strife is kind of known for. And Abram says, and I don't want us to miss it, family should not fight. Did you hear me? Family should not fight. Hey, will you have conflict? Yes, but you ought to learn to resolve it. Why? We are family. We're family. Watch. In this resolving personal conflict, the motivation for it being resolved is our identity, who we are. That's where Abram starts. He says, we shouldn't do this. With them, I expect it, but we are brothers. We are family. Now, let me bring that into our current day. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. So think about this, church, Christian Family Chapel. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. What have we been called? Church, what have we been called? Family. Did you, did you know that? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a heavenly father. We are family. What's he say? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling of being family. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. See, what I love about this, don't miss this, it's not your role to go, hey, we're family, we gotta make peace. He said, your family, I, I made peace. What's your role? That's right. Preserve it. Do you get that? You understand? This is so good from Genesis 13. Abram, coming off of moral failure, returned, restored to fellowship, having returned to the Lord, he goes, this shouldn't be. We are, we're family. And family, God made to be at peace. We need to learn to preserve it. And what's the key to preserving it? With all humility. We'd like something other than that. Because humbling myself means what? Placing myself Oh, can we have any other answers for it? No, we see it in Abram. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, be diligent to preserve what I have made in the family. See, it's, it's motivated by identity, who we are, but it's initiated by something very, very practical, humility. Give you one more word and then we'll unpack it in real life. What's humility look like? No, no, what's humility look like? Hanging your head? Here's, watch, you're watching? Here's what humility looks like. Don't know what that means. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Humility doesn't look like this. Humility looks like this. It's not hanging your head. It's what? Regarding one another is more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. Do you not see this in Genesis 13? You see it's, it's this. And there's conflict as long as each go, hey, my herds need that. Well, my herds need that. Well, my herds need it. And what's nobody doing? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have, here's our identity, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also where? In Christ Jesus. And we are family because we are in Christ Jesus. And so the attitude that Christ has is the one that you and I, if, no, 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 not if, because are we going to experience conflict? Yeah, the rea- I'm not saying, hey, you should never have conflict. That just doesn't work. It's how do you resolve it? By starting with, hey, we shouldn't live like this. We are family. 
And it starts with somebody then going, not this, but in humility like Jesus going like this. For him, what'd that look like? Who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, humility does like this. And you see what that's happening there? What am I doing? I'm letting go of stuff I want to hold on to. That's hard. We'd rather go. Can I let you go first and still hold on? But emptied himself. Not a tithe of helping. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, actually, if you can track with me, this is not that complicated. We're always going to have conflict. It's just the reality. We're We're going to run into each other. What do we do? We stop and say, we are family. And Christ humbled himself, so I will humble myself. And humility looks very practical. Humility looks like preference, giving preference. So here's our path. I recognize who I am. I recognize what Christ did, and I am in Christ. And so very practically, I give preference. You know, when we, we do a wedding, we never say, and you will never fight the rest of your life. In fact, very rarely, I always prefer to, as part of a wedding, lead the couple in the Lord's Supper because it's the reminder. Watch, when I give them the elements, I have them say, Mike turned off, this is just between them. I have them say one another. As I've been forgiven, I'll forgive you. As Christ has been broken for me, I'll be broken for you. Such a downer in a wedding service. <laughs> no, you, you know, you take all that stuff away and weddings are just big fat lies. <laughs> I will love you perfectly the rest of your life. And you just want to go, stop. No, you won't. <laughs> Nobody does that. You're not even going to get through the honeymoon too. You're like, I can't. <sighs> right? And so... Marriage and relationship with God and relationship with others is not that we're perfect, it's that we are humble. And humble says, I'll give you preference. So in your marriage, if you are experiencing conflict right now, one of you needs to say, we're one. We don't want the same thing right now, but we're one. And so let's resolve this. We should not live like this. Do you hear that? It, it's got, it, it's, but it takes somebody literally saying, let's not do this. It takes what Abram said. The Canaanites, I expect it there. You and me, no, let's not do this. 
We are family. We're, and in marriage, you're especially family. You're one. The kids, they're going to go someday. You, your spouse, you're one. And so you got to be willing. Husband, wife, husband, husband. You got to be willing to go, let's not do this. Really, every husband, you need to be Abram. You need to go, let's not do this. We're one. And say, so let me hear. Let me listen. What would you prefer? And then wife goes, wow, you love me like that? What would you prefer? Now everybody goes, well, but if, what do you prefer? What do you prefer? What do you prefer? You're not going to get anywhere. I, I've never really seen that happen. If somebody says, steps up in place and says, okay, thank you. <laughs> Which is it wrong? But it's all, listen, it's just real life. It's a lot better when you reach an agreement when husband, you first, you go, what do you prefer? And when wife, you respond and say, you're the leader, what do you think? What do you prefer? And when both have given up their preferences, then the agreement, peace. Then you preserved what Christ has purchased. So you don't have to make it happen. You just gotta learn to preserve it. And you only can preserve it if you will remember who you are and humble yourself and give preference. Not too long ago, uh, I got one of those hand grenades that show up in my email from a church member. And I was really kicking myself. It was a Saturday morning, and I thought, as soon as I started reading, I was like, you idiot, why did you read this? Cause, and I was just like, and everything in me is going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And really, grace of God in my life, in that moment, I had just started in Genesis 13. And instead of writing the email I wanted to write, the Lord simply said, your response is this. We are brothers. We're brothers. Sometimes we just want to defend ourselves, to hold on to our side of the story, right? I mean, you probably don't, but people you know probably do. <laughs> oh, you smug people looking back at me like, what are you talking about? This never happens to us. <laughs> oh, we want to hold on. And that, I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to be praying. In those moments, Lord Jesus, would you, by your Holy Spirit, remind each, we're family. It was a man to another man, so I didn't say we're family. I said, we're brothers. But the Spirit, we're brothers. Let me listen. Now, if Jackie were here, she would go, well, let me tell you a bunch of the stories where he didn't do that. 
So I'm not the hero here. I'm simply acknowledging by God's grace just recently. The Lord allowed me to be able to go, okay, I can live in Genesis 13. But I never really thought about it like this. So I hope thinking like this helped me. I hope it will help you. Let me apply it to what's going into our culture right now. Racism. Why does racism exist? Because of failure to recognize identity. Racism can only exist when somebody decides. Now, our race is superior to your race. Let's acknowledge, mostly as white in this room, let's acknowledge that slavery only existed in America because there was, even though we were found on Judeo-Christian values, that there was a disconnect in the fact that every race, every gender created how? In the image of God. Listen. That's just not a throwaway statement. That's not a political statement at all. If you come to CFC, you know we don't address political issues. This is a biblical issue. And it all begins with, do I believe that every color, every gender is equally created in the image of God? I can only engage in slavery. Nazi Germany can only do what they did to the Jews. How? When they said, no, we're a superior race, that's an inferior race. We can treat them like property and do whatever we want to them. That's a failure of identity. And when we miss identity, conflict is, is coming. And now watch. We can't change what's happening completely out in the community. But we have responsibility. We have, we're doubling down in identity. Are you listening? We are not only created in the image of God as believers. We are, what are we? We are family. And yet somehow in a Judeo-Christian founded country, that doubled down in the image of God and created as family didn't work its way out and so a black man couldn't come into a white church. And you may go, that was a long time ago. You understand though? Long time ago or not, that people who profess the name of Christ excluded other family members from coming into the same room with them, eating at the same restaurant, using the same bathroom. It's a stain. It's a stain on the church that that's part of our past. And every once in a while will find its way even in at Christian Family Chapel. As a man of color from this church with a significant, understandable frustration said, hey, my little girl was told on your playground, I can't play with you because of the color of your skin. Now you go, no, not at at church. 
Yeah. Identity, humility, preference. I wish our culture would buy it, but our culture's not going to buy it because ultimately they are not in Christ. But Christian Family Chapel, those of you who are watching, if you are in Christ, it should look differently in the church. Correct? Yes. Should it look differently in the church? Yes. Should it look differently in our homes? Yes. Should it look differently in our relationships? Do you need to, as parents, teach your children biblical truth as it relates to this? Not a political statement, but biblical reality. Created in the image of God, we are family. So it should be different here. And where it has not been, what do we do? We return to the person of Jesus Christ and say, that was not like you. And we cry out for mercy and grace, just like Abram did when he blew it. See, there's, there's a beautiful connection here. So I want us to reflect the heart of Christ. In the midst of a really broken world, this is a very practical way. Identity, humility, giving preference. See, see, I, I don't like it, but I understand marriages outside of the faith who just crumble and don't get it. But we should be different because of who we are and who we follow and what he did and how we would do it. Our families should be different. Our homes should be different. Our church should be different from the culture because of our identity, our humility, and our willingness, therefore, to give preference. That's the beauty of Christ that could be displayed. But there's one more thing in Genesis chapter 13. Abram does exactly what we just talked about. It's where we took it from. He, he, in humility, gave preference to Lot. He said, you go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. right. So Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. So in other words, he's going, wow, that looks like awesome land. That's like the garden like they talked about it. It's rich soil. It's well watered. That's the best land, right? That's what he saw. So, so Lot chose for himself all the valley of Jordan and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Let me run through this quickly. I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but should have Lot chosen the best land? Because you understand, he did, right? Abram said, hey, choose what you want. And so Lot went, well, I'll take the best. Should have he? See, the, the, the scripture, there isn't a verse, I, I didn't make one up this week. There isn't a verse that says, and the Lord condemned Lot for his choice. So I want us to be careful here. But what did Abram do? He, he humbly said, you choose. I think Lot should have said, thanks, but 
really. You're the uncle. You're the older. You're the one actually that God said he was going to bless. You choose. Now maybe that's just southern polite. But I think he should have said, no, you choose. And if not that, then he should have at least not missed this. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. In other words, it wasn't that he moved there and went, oh, whoa, didn't know this was happening. He had been there. He knew what was going on and he chose in spite of that. So why did he choose the land? Bottom line, why did he choose it? Yeah, because it was going to make him rich. So let's not leave Genesis 13 without not only saying, let's be like Abram, return in our failure to the Lord. And let's be like Abram. Let's understand who we are in humility, give preference. Let's not be like Lot. Here's why. Because those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into, can you just say that? Ruin and destruction. Anybody believe that? <laughs> Seriously, I, I ran through that. You might go, oh, no, no. read what we just, what, this is what the scripture says. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Is that not a blinking light enough for us? For the love of money is root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The simple point is this because I think Genesis 13 is about Resolving conflict. How do you do it with the Lord? You return. Repentance and confession. How do you do it with one another? You remember who you are in humility. You give preference. You want to live a life will absolutely guarantee it's filled with conflict? You want that life? How to guarantee a future conflict? Make decisions based on the love of money and you're going to get it. It's just what the scripture says. It's what gets lived out in the life of Abram. Excuse me, the life of Lot. And I just want to remind us again, folks. Somehow we think we're going to skate on this one. We can want to get rich but not get ruined. It's what we all think. Oh, I, I can navigate this. I can skate on this. And the scripture says, you're not going to. What should you do? Next verse, flee man of God and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Don't go after that. Go after this. And you know what Abram did? He did verse 11. He pursued righteousness. We're brothers. I could demand my right, but you go first. And watch, don't miss this. And in giving up, what he could have taken, he allowed the Lord to give him exactly what the Lord had for him. You can trust him. Those who want to save their life will 
lose it. And those who lose their life for his sake will, will find it. It's the truth lived right out there in Genesis 13. So, real quick, what's the Lord saying to you? Return, repent and confess. Is he saying to you, you need to go home, you need to go to our brother and go, hey, we're friends, we're family. Let's not do this. Let me hear your preference. Or do you need to go, wow, I didn't realize I am, I am living a life that's headed for guaranteed conflict because I'm being driven by riches. Lord, I'm going to pursue righteousness and let you give me whatever you choose to give me. Because that's what he does for Abram. We won't read the rest of the chapter. But that's what he does. He says, go walk. Look north, look south, look east, look west. I'm going to give it to you. You can trust the Lord to give you what he has for it, you don't have to get it. He'll give it to you. So Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would have humble hearts to respond to it and that the beauty of peace and righteousness and trust would be revealed in our lives to the praise of your glory in Christ's name. Amen. All right, thanks for joining us this morning. We'll do our Q&A here in a bit, as we have been doing. If you're not going to stay for that, no problem. You can go fellowship out in the courtyard if you're over in North and you want to participate. Come on over if you're on live stream and you want to hang for a minute or two. We'll get to the Q&A. Would you go and preserve peace? God bless.